This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 324, and we are recording on April 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. This day has been a comedy of errors. Indeed. Amanda's got tech gremlins, like, coming out of her ears over there. <laughs> like, literally, so. in my head, my headphones are the yeah. problem. So. We'll see how this goes. We're recording with my gym headphones, like the ones that I wear mm. at, that are usually covered in sweat. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Um. Anyway. It's a brain workout. It's a brain workout. It is. I love an adventure. I love an adventure. So mm-hmm. how this show works is that you send us things and we tell you things. And that's the end of it. <laughs> so this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, uh, obviously, as I said. So you send us those requests. They can be for anything, for your book club, for you, a gift, you're traveling somewhere and want to read about a thing, all of that, and whatever else your heart desires. Um, you can send your request to getbookedatbookriot.com. Or if you want to use the form in the bottom of the show notes, you can do that. If your question is time sensitive, just put that in the subject line of your email. If you use the form, put it in the first line, big, bold, all cap letters, so we can see it and get to the question on time. We do have a few pieces of feedback. Um, let's see. Oh, from our convenience store woman discussion. Is this Jen was the person who wrote the letter or is it no, Jen? No, I am you. the person okay. who was. Yes. So so I just want to thank the listener who sent in a very gracious correction around language, around neurodivergence. I said I got my words all turned around. And as this listener says, the person isn't struggling with neurodivergence, but rather the expectations from society to act at a neurotypical level, which is correct. And I apologize for getting that wrong with my mouth. And so thank you. Thank you again for the correction. We love all of that helpful feedback all the time. Yes. Um, Okay. So from Lauren, who says, for the person who wanted You've Got Male Read Alikes, I would recommend Tweet Cute by Emma Lord, which is about two teenagers whose families don't like each other and have a warring grilled cheese (laughs) restaurant situation. So there's that. <laughs> I also recommend When You Get the Chance, also by Emma Lord, about a young Broadway-obsessed young girl who lives with her dad and is obsessed with finding her mom and uses her dad's live journal from 2003 in order to do so. Okay, let me just stop right there. Live <laughs> journal for two... We, I, we are now the age where we could be the mm. parents in YA romances. Because I oh 100% have a live journal from 2003. So this means that my child could be out there in my live journal trying to find like my ex-boyfriends from high school. Oh, boy. <laughs> Lauren, you've done something to me today. And that's where we are. Okay. Our next piece of feedback is from Katie. Also recommending books similar to You've Got Mail. I would recommend Read Between the Lines by Rachel Lacey. It is a women-loving women romance where a bookstore owner has a major crush on a queer author, but when the reclusive author turns out to be the landlord who is kicking the owner out, craziness ensues. That does sound like a conflict. And our Mm. last one is from Kara, who says, I have a recommendation for Lee, who asked for middle grade books with non-binary protagonists for their 10-year-old. 
Tiger Honor by Yoon Ha Lee is a middle grade space opera inspired by Korean mythology from the Rick Riordan Presents imprint. The protagonist, Sibin, is a non-binary tween, early teen age. It's the second book in the Thousand World series. Don't know how well it stands alone, but the first book is Dragon Pool. Uh, Dragon Pool, Lord. A pool of dragons. No, the first book is Dragon <laughs> Pearl and was lots of fun. Okay, so I'm going to read our first question. We'll hear from our first sponsor. Off we will go. Our first question is from Sydney, who says, I am visiting Amman, Jordan in June, screaming internally with excitement, and wanted to read some books to get me hyped for my trip. We're starting in Amman and visiting Petra, the Dead Sea, and Wadi Rum over the course of a week. Fiction and nonfiction are great. I just really want something with a sense of place, maybe some history, although I would welcome anything to add to my out-of-control TBR pile. All right, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Jen, what is your Jordanian selection? Indeed. So (laughs) I was poking around to try to figure out like, oh, yes, what of the books that I've read actually involved Jordan? First of all, I'm jealous, though. Side note. I'm so jealous. I've been wanting to go see Petra since I saw... The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So, you know, that's that's a dream. One day, one day. But it turns out that The Language of Baklava by Diana Abu Jaber, I think is a great pick for this. And it's a book that I love. It's a memoir that is both about growing up in 
upstate New York and in Jordan because Abu Jaber's father is from Jordan. And so, you know, and he like is very connected to his home country. So like, you know, they have shish kebab cookouts around Lake Ontario and then they go to Jordan and have like, you know, goat stew in a tent in the desert. Like these are the things that she's experiencing. It bridges her experience as like a first generation American. And it's so evocative. And like, she's a food writer. So let me tell you, you are going to be drooling. There's so there are recipes in here. There's descriptions of food that I was just like, blah, blah. And (laughs) since you're going there, like you can eat. Oh, my gosh, the food you're going to eat. I'm so excited for you. And she's just such a good, she's such a good storyteller. Like, it's nostalgic, it's current, it's thoughtful, it's funny, and again, drool-worthy in food descriptions. So I think this will give you some things to look forward to. Again, that's The Language of Baklava by Diana Abu-Jabber. Um, I, me too, is the thing I wrote <laughs> here. I am also going to Jordan this year in September, and it sounds like we've got kind of an identical itinerary. I'm going to Petra and the Dead Sea and Wadi Rum, um, and I'm very, very excited. And so I pulled a book from my TBR that I was planning to pick up next month, also in preparation for this trip, and it's Leap of Faith by Queen Noor. So I don't know anything about her, except that she's American. <laughs> I Like, that's what I'm going into this reading experience with, but I'm so excited to read it. So the Queen Noir was born Lisa, like her name is Lisa Hallaby. Um, she's an Arab American. She comes from like a very prestigious and wealthy family. Um, her father is from Jordan uh, and is friends with King Hussein, was friends with King Hussein. So Lisa grows up in this kind of rarefied air. She goes to Princeton. She's actually, she was in the first freshman class at Princeton that accepted women. Um, she graduated in the 70s uh, and was going to be an architect. She had like a degree in architecture, urban planning. And then when she is visiting Jordan with her father, she meets his buddy, the king. Uh, and his buddy, the king, whose wife has just tragically passed away, finds himself very deeply in love with the daughter of his friend, which like, let's just acknowledge that that's a little weird. (laughs) And like a May, December situation. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to move on. We're going to acknowledge we're going to move on. (laughs) And they, you know, they start dating. Well, dating is it dating when you're the king courting. So they start dating. Eventually they get married and she becomes Queen Noir Al-Hussein. And look, what a glow up, right? From Lisa to Queen Noir. (laughs) And so this is a memoir of that experience. She's a young bride. She gets kind of tossed into this really established royal court. King Hussein was starting to get a name for himself in the West as being like a real broker of peace, quite a progressive leader. He's also directly descended from Muhammad, the prophet. And so he's really, really famous and like a big deal, not just in the Middle East, but all over the world. And she's just like, you know, wealthy, but also like a girl from America. And so she eventually ends up having four children and being a very active participant and like partner to her husband, which was super rare and weird in this court. And nobody really knew what to do with her because she didn't just want to like serve tea, have babies and make the king smile. She wanted to influence politics and policy and really help her husband in his quest to bring peace to the to the region. Um, so she's got a lot to say about Jordan and also, you know, the history, the culture from an American perspective, which is why I put it on my TBR, because, you know, I'm an American going to the Middle East. And like, there are things that I would like to know before I head over there so I can be as respectful and inoffensive as possible. And, you know, one of the rulers is a great resource for that kind of thing. So that's Leap of Faith by Queen Noir. 
All right. Next question is from Carly, who says, My boyfriend has recently got back into reading novels with me, and I would love some recs for him. I'm trying to get him to branch out from his usual reads, which I would call sad and disturbing fiction. He usually reads manga such as Jojo's Bizarre Adventure and Junji Ito works. In the past, he has read The Odyssey, The Bell Jar, a book on Taoism, and The Hunger Games trilogy. He most recently picked up My Year of Rest and Relaxation and blew through it and is now on classic sci-fi short stories. He's a musician who loves cars and video games. Any recs for a guy with open but peculiar mixed taste. Mm. Nothing too distressing and no parental slash family death, please. Uh, All right. So I picked Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. I am going to note that I'm going to give you a bunch of content warnings, but let me tell you when, like, believe me when I say that this book holds these moments of trauma so gently and hopefully that, like, it is the opposite of a distressing book. Like, it is all about recovery and, like, finding the people who are going to get you to the good place in your life. So content warnings include child abuse, sexual assault, and transphobia. And this is about a young woman named Katrina who is transgender and whose parents are like not on board her father is abusive so she runs away she's also a talented musician she's like a very good like sort of self-taught ish violinist and bonus she loves video game music like the thing she loves to play is music from video games so I thought that was like a great connection for your uh, boyfriend and the way the descriptions of like how impactful video game music can be in this book are really interesting Uh, so okay right so she runs away she gets discovered in a park by a very famous violinist teacher named Shizuka Satomi who side note has made a deal with the devil Uh, and is, like, searching for her next victim, as it were. There's also a bunch of aliens running a donut shop. The whole thing takes place in California in the San Gabriel Valley, and it's, like, a love letter to that area, but also, like, a... It's complicated to grow up and to be a human in this specific subculture of, like... You know, very uh, it's an Asian community in America. There's a lot of like internal standards and things that, you know, if you don't meet, like maybe you're not super comfortable there. And then what it's like to be a musician, what it's like to not play classical music and what it's like to try to find found family. I love this book so much. And I think it definitely fits the brief here. It's also really funny. Like it's got all of these great sci fi and fantasy tropes in it. It's just a delight. Uh, So, again, that is light from uncommon stars by Rika Aoki. All right. So this is some quite interesting (laughs) reading tapes that your boyfriend has. So I went with The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. It's translated by Steven Snyder because I feel like if you mashed up my year of rest and relaxation with The Hunger Games, this is what you would (laughs) be. And it is. It is. And I'm so I'm like gonna tell you that it's kind of disturbing and it's a little sad. So I don't know that this is gonna break him out of what he usually reads, but I don't think there's anything wrong with what he usually reads. And oftentimes trying to convince someone to change their reading habits is just Mm. gonna exhaust you. So you might as well just give him something that, you know, he's gonna like. So this is a um, dystopian science fiction novel that takes place on an unnamed island off a coast that no one is gonna tell, unnamed coast. (laughs) And there's an unnamed narrator and on this island, the people have become quite used to this way of life where, where memories and objects start to disappear. So the memory police are the government 
agency uh, in charge of the island that decide when certain objects need to disappear. And when they make the announcement, the people wake up, citizens wake up the next day, just kind of knowing that they're that this is the thing that needs to go. So they get together, they destroy it all. So for example, uh, rose bushes is one thing that the memory police decides need to go. So all of the citizens destroy their rose bushes the next morning. And then slowly over time, they lose all memory of what that thing even was in the first place. And then when they're presented with the object in the future, if they are, they can't really they can't place it. So this is the very sad, very strange setup. And there are people who can retain the memories, even after the memory police have declared something, you know, to be erased, and the object is gone. There are a few people who can still retain the memories. And those people are being rounded up by the memory police and and disappeared. Um, And so the main character is a novelist who she's not one of the people who can remember things after they're gone. She has no memories of anything after they're gone, like a normal kind of person living in this world. And her editor, she realizes, can remember things. But she really loves her editor, and he's like the only person that she has left in her life after her family died or, you know, was taken or whatever. And so she decides she's going to hide him in her house, keep him away from the memory police and try to hopefully save his life. And so that's the whole setup. It is super weird, but it's also very, very quiet. Like, this is not a book like The Hunger Games about resistance. This is a book Mm. like about uh, a really like savage bureaucracy that the people just cope with, which I think is kind Mm. of more common. You know, like we all like to Mm -hmm. think that we would live in the Hunger Games and rise up and do all of this kind of stuff, these like heroics, but most of us just try to get on with it, you know, and this is an island of people who are just trying to get on with it um, without losing their loved ones or uh, holding on to their lives as much as they can. So it's really, it's really quiet. It has that rest, my year of rest and relaxation sort of avoidance thing going on. (laughs) Um, But, but amidst this really kind of futuristic sci-fi backdrop. So that's The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. All right. Our next question is from Tommy, who says, I've realized that I'm loving nonfiction with a humorous twist, like The Mission by David W. Brown and Forget the Alamo by Brian Bureau. They're not comedy books, but they are telling an accurate history with a hint of humor. All right, Jen, what you got? All right. So I picked Music is History by Amir Questlove Thompson with Ben Greenman. Yes, that Questlove. It is actually Philadelphia's like big read. Um, So I was reading it anyway, conveniently for this question. And I am really enjoying it. I picked it for you. It is not like necessarily LOL funny. I mean, if it is, I haven't gotten to those points yet, but it is very like tongue in cheek funny sometimes. And it is immensely entertaining and thoughtful at the same time. So this literally what Questlove is doing here is pairing the events in history uh, starting in 1971 to the present day, so like 50-ish years, So he's pairing like the events that happened in history in one specific year with one specific song and like seeing, you know, how do they inform each other? Like what was going on in pop culture? What was going on in politics? What was going on in music? And what does this one album or song show us about that moment in time? And it is the earwormiest, like most interesting thing I've read in a while. I am going to be looking up a bajillion things to watch and listen to and think about. Like he is doing such a good job of presenting his own sort of encapsulated thoughts and then giving you like a a hundred million jumping off points to do your own research and investigation. So it is, it's a did you know, it's very entertaining. It's very earwormy. Like I am obsessed with this book right now. Um, And I think you will really enjoy it in the same way. 
So again, that is Music is History by Amir Questlove-Thompson with Ben Greenman. All right. I picked the wordy shipmates by Sarah Vowell. Really anything by Sarah Vowell (laughs) is going to scratch this itch for you. Um, She's a humorist who worked for NPR for, maybe she still does. Um, I don't actually know if she's left NPR. I thought she did when she started writing books, but she's written several works of humorous takes on American history. And The Wordy Shipmates is about the Puritans, which is my favorite one and the one that I picked because the Puritans took themselves so seriously. That was kind of their whole brand, (laughs) right? It's like, we are a persecuted people who are going to earn heaven through our very serious, serious faces. Um, And so like their whole thing was just nothing is light or humorous or funny. And for her to come in with her like, this was pretty goofy, huh? Kind of attitude is such mm-hmm. a good mix of of content and like editorial voice. So she takes on like, uh, the, so the Massachusetts Bay Colony governor, right? John Winthrop, who was a, just a dingbat, just a tyrannical, <laughs> violent, horrifying person, but was also kind of like a teddy bear and like really loved his family and was very into being like a community dude and like wanted to really be liked. It's just bananas because we don't think about these people as people. You know, in American kind of mythology, the Puritans, the pilgrims are our founders. They're the people who brought us to this, us being white people, to this nation and like gave us everything that we had and like the foundation upon which we build most of our culture, right? But they were kind of just confused, messed up refugees who invaded a nation. Like they were not the myth that we have made them out to be. And in in mythologizing them, we ignore their quirks and their weirdness and their foibles. Because, you know, if we acknowledge that they were humans with uh, any kind of flaws, then we have to reexamine our values, which is hard and people don't like to do hard things. So all of that to Mm. say, Sarah Val Val coming along and being like, I don't know, they were kind of goofy is... Such a great anecdote to the kind of stodgy, uh, worshipful way that historians have written about the Puritans over history, over modern history. So that's The Wordy Shipmates by Sarah Bell. Nice. She's very funny. She's Mm -hmm. extremely funny. It's true. All right. Our next question is from Mega, who says, I want to read something based in Ireland. I've read both Rooney's and The Milkman. I love watching Dairy Girls and love the setting. I'm looking for murder mysteries or really anything fiction based in Ireland. I'd like to avoid something like The Milkman, though, and I'm leaning towards something atmospheric. No nonfiction at all, please. I'm just going to keep talking. I literally wrote Edna O'Brien with three exclamation marks <laughs> she did. next it's true. to it. I guess Saints and Sinners is the the starting point I would give to you because that's where I started. But I here's how I got introduced to Edna O'Brien. I don't even remember why I went to this event, but there was a reading in New York City at McNally Jackson when I was still living in Brooklyn. And Edna O'Brien was in conversation with Gabriel Byrne. So it was like <laughs> the fanciest, Irishiest thing of ever. And listening to the two of them talk, and Edna O'Brien is older, like very distinguished, you know, like she's got her silver hair and she's like has this amazing accent and Gabriel Byrne is Gabriel Byrne. So like it was an incredible moment. And the thing that I remember about this short story collection is the atmosphericness of it. Like she, it is so, you just feel like you're there. It is not, it, it is literary, quote unquote, literary fiction. Like it's, they're like more Alice Monroe-y than anything else. Like they're sort of set pieces about these different characters moving through the world. Um, some of them do like travel between, you know, Ireland and London, for example. Um, but it's all that very like, 
I don't know, it's extremely Irish. Like, I don't know how else to say it. It's the most <laughs> Irish. Um, and it's just, I just think it's so, so perfect for this question. And Edna O'Brien is like a famed Irish writer, so you can't go wrong. Uh, so again, that is Edna O'Brien and Saints and Sinners is a story collection that I started with. All right, we're going to do this in chorus with all the people out there listening. <laughs> On the count of three, we're going to say the same thing, I bet. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Tana French. That's what you want to be reading. <laughs> Everybody out there, I can hear them being like, it's Tana French. Do you want to read Tana French? Uh, so Tana French is a murder mystery novelist. All of her books are set in Ireland. And the, the series is called The Dublin Murder Squad. The first book is called In the Woods. This does come with trigger warnings for harm to children. Um, and book one kind of opens in the 80s, 1984. It's a group of kids in a like Dublin suburb. And they go out into the woods to play, as children do. And they don't come back out. Uh, and one boy is found kind of covered in blood and like hugging a tree. And he doesn't have any recollection of what's happened to him or to his friends. But the, the other kids are never found. So fast forward 20 years and that boy, his name is Rob, is now a detective on the Dublin murder squad. And he has told no one about anything about his past. His partner, Cassie, who is also a detective, obviously, um, his work partner, not his romantic partner, get assigned to a case that is very similar to what happened to him. It's in the same neighborhood. Another girl has gone missing in those same woods. And so, you know, this is now Rob's chance to kind of figure out if they're connected and maybe solve a little bit of, uh, you know, his amnesia and what actually happened to his friends and himself that day in the woods. But the twist or wrinkle is that he doesn't tell anyone that he is involved in this case personally, including, but not limited to, his partner, who is also his best friend. So that is a big complicating factor. It's super atmospheric. Like, it's just all fog and, like, Irish ancient trees and, like, stones and... um. I don't, not Stonehenge, but, you know, like those kind of big, like religious circles of big mm. giant stones. And it's just, it's a big mood. That's what it is. All of Tana French is a big <laughs> mood. <laughs> so book one, again, is In the Woods. And that is The Dublin Murder Squad by Tana French. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my 
hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. Question five is from Amber, who says, I've sought after books like A Little Life and just haven't found what I'm looking for. That book broke me and I loved it. I've tried On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous because that's a common wreck. And while I did enjoy it, it was not what I was looking for. I want major attachment to characters, something that will make me fall in love and grieve and feel all the feels that will torture me emotionally. (laughs) I love SFF, so totally open to something that has those elements. Praising my love for the sparrow. Thank you very much. All right, Jen, what you got? Well, wait, can we recommend some traumatizing sci-fi fantasy All to day. You? All day, every day. Uh, so I went with, well, I have like one shout out and one full recommendation. My full recommendation is the Poppy War series by R.F. Kuang, which has all of the content warnings. Like no being is safe from harm. All of the harms are visited upon the people in these books. It will absolutely wreck you. I was a mess when I finished this trilogy. It follows a young woman named Rin who grows up in poverty in like an abusive foster home situation and she is determined to get out and so she takes this like, you know, national quote unquote national test to get into a military military academy and aces it and goes to this very prestigious school that's for training officers and then gets drawn into a war. There is magic. There is war crimes. There is just the most complicated of feelings relationships like it is it will wreck you i feel i like get a box of tissues and then like settle in to be wrecked it's rough but it's so well done and the thing that kwang is doing is looking at chinese history specifically the sino-japanese war and then like you know making it sort of pre-industrial, adding magic, and, like, just exploring all of these things about, like, what would you do if you were determined to better yourself? And the only way you could do that involved a lot of killing. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you do? Relatedly, my other shout-out is to the Masquerade series by Seth Dickinson, which is not finished yet. Also, same sort of concept, similarly wrecking you know, the emotional status of the reader. It's it's rough. Uh, so yeah, have have fun. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I re- have fun? <laughs> fun? <laughs> Question mark? I'm not judging you. I'm like literally, like I'm saying, I'm reading these books too. So yeah. here we are. All right. My pick is The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Sori, which has a trigger warning for violence against women. You can't really recommend books for this question without a bunch of trigger warnings. So here we nope, are. Nope, can't. Can't do it. Um, I had a similar emotional journey with these characters where I um, I loved both of the main characters so much. And they just go through so 
much crap. And it's just so sad and upsetting. But that is a thing that I like. So here we are. We have that in common. So the first main character's name is Milani, and she is a princess. Her brother is the emperor. Um, he is a terrifying hell beast of a human being who has brought back some like cultural and religious traditions of like burning women alive at the stake. Um, Milani refuses to volunteer as tribute for that kind of cer- ceremonial burning thing. So as punishment, he sends her to live in isolation in the Harana, which is a like an ancient decaying temple that was once the home of a priesthood of really powerful people who lived in this kind of indigenous culture that Milani's father, you know, invaded and took over. So she's living there by herself. Priya is the other main character. She's a maid um, and she is hired to climb the Harana uh, every night to like clean... Milani, Malini, excuse me, it's um, area and like bring her food and all that kind of stuff, cook for her, all that. Her secret is that she was a child who grew up in the Harana. She was one of like a member of this priesthood. She's got some like really impressive abilities, especially when she's touching or is close to the to the Harana. And but she's keeping that a secret. She's like very much trying to move on. She doesn't want anyone to know. But Malini figures it out, and then the two of them kind of come together to decide if they're going to well. Priya's deciding if she wants to, like, get involved in the political machinations of the princess, and the princess is, like, trying to bust out um, and overthrow her brother. So there's a lot of Game of Thrones kind of, like, family betrayal. It's very, very violent, similar to Game of Thrones. Also kind of similar to A Little Life, but uh, sometimes Mm. with magic and weapons and things like that. And the characters are very gray. Like, this is not Mm. a, a book about, like, two bright, shining ladies who are, like you know, can only do good and are hobbits. These are like political schemers who are doing what they can to survive and in their minds do what is good for like the people around them and their country or whatever. But sometimes that involves a lot of violence that they're inflicting on other people. So it's just complicated, you know, and it scratches Mm. that same kind of itch. I think that a little life does where you're like, I love you so much and I need you to make better choices. Like I need you to do the literal opposite of everything that you're doing right now. But like, I love you. Oh, God, you're torturing me. It's that kind of journey. (laughs) Um, Also, there's some kissing. So there you go. That's a nice bonus. So that's The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. All right. Our next question is from Anna, who says, I'm looking for The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chee read-alikes. I love these fictional memoir-style books that delve into the lives and backgrounds of starlets. I have a particular fondness for old Hollywood and historical fiction. I'm also open to more modern era periods. I've read Queenie by Michael Corda and The Seven Heaven Husbands. Ooh, I can talk today. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Mm. Uh, I will just keep going. I just finished my recommendation last night. I am newly obsessed with this book. Mm. It is The Siren Queen by Nevo. Content warnings for gore and coercion. This is such an interesting book, y'all, because it is old Hollywood, like golden age Hollywood right after the silent pictures, like moving into talkies and the studio system where you literally were like you gave them your life in Mm. exchange for being a star, except that in... In our, you know, version of this, that was like metaphorical. But in this book, it is literal involving magic. And I love the way that Vogue keeps the magic sort of vague and low key. Like it's definitely there, but it is more than balanced out by the like real mundane everyday struggles of our heroine, who is Luli Wei. She is a Chinese American girl from like a poor neighborhood. Her parents own, you know, a laundry service and she grows up 
up with her sister running around in this one section of Los Angeles, and she stumbles across a film set and gets tapped to be an extra and is like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to be a movie star. The end. But like it is a literally monstrous system in this. So she has to sort of negotiate her way into the system as a Chinese American, you know, young woman who is going to be typecast unless she like tries. And can she even resist that? Like, how does she navigate the system? How does she find her people? She's also a lesbian. So like that's complicated. It is so good. It feels like it could be real, which is amazing. And it really does feel like it is old Hollywood with just a tweak. Um, And Vo is an amazing writer. I'm just, this book is so good. I think you're going to love it. Uh, So again, that's Siren Queen by Ni Vo. All right. I picked Laura Lamott's Life in Pictures by Emma Straub, which is kind of a, it's a very Seven Husbands of Eggville and Hugo sort of situation. Um, and it opens in the 20s. Uh, the main character's name is Elsa. She is the youngest of three daughters uh, growing up in Wisconsin. And her family owns this playhouse. And Elsa is very into it. Like, she just loves being <laughs> on stage. She Because this is like, how she connects with her father, who is emotionally distant. She likes the audience attention, et cetera, et cetera. But then, like, a tragedy comes and overtakes her family, and she, it becomes less like a thing she's doing for fun and more of, like, a thing she's doing for money and out of necessity. So she gets married when she's a teenager to kind of flee her situation, and she moves to L.A., and she's, like, discovered, right? And this is very similar to the beginning of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And also that just Hollywood myth of, like, small-town Midwest mm-hmm. girl goes to L.A. Um, she gets discovered by... A Hollywood executive who renames her Laura Lamott and makes and like becomes her lover and like there's all of this power struggle stuff and she becomes a, like a real movie star. She starts winning Academy Awards. She's got all this glamour um, and but you know it's the studio system kind of golden Hollywood era so they dictate almost everything about her life, who she can be seen with, who she can marry, how many kids she should have, when she should have them, what kind of movies she can do, all of that. And so it's all about Laura Lamott, uh, formerly Elsa, trying to balance all of that, balance the things she's always wanted, which is this kind of stardom and fame with, okay, but like, what about what I want? Like my personal happiness, I want to have children on my pace, what about my family, what about my career? and my dreams and all of that. And that kind of really essential Hollywood paradox of like, it's so many people's dreams to be famous, but once you're famous, you don't get your dreams anymore. Like you just Mm. are denied every personal desire you have and have to kind of do the things that you're told to maintain the life that you've chosen for yourself. So it's, it's really thoughtful. And I don't know that it's like, it's not as like dishy as Queen of the Night or uh, as dishy as the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, but it's dishy because you can't write about that period without it being dishy. So (laughs) that's Laura Lamott's Life in Pictures by Emma Straub. All right. Our last question is from Julia, who says, my husband works in a small rural primary school in New South Wales, Australia, and he does not have a school librarian. So I've taken up the task of volunteering to sort through and order some books and help when I can. I'm looking for recommendations for 10 to 12 year old boys, particularly graphic novels, to help engage them in reading. The kids at his school are from working class families, live on property with horses, livestock, etc. They love outdoor activities like motorbike riding, fishing. Uh, The school has beehives, gardens, ducks. They all love getting involved with that. Also, what are your essential books for a child's library? I have a 12 month old boy and would like to know what you think are the absolutely essential books for kids. Okay, I'm going to keep going. 
we kind of split this book or this question, and I took the one about Rex for 10 to 12-year-old boys by just asking my children, who are 11-year-old boys. <laughs> so I was just like, I poked my head out of my office. I was like, hey, guys, what are you reading that you really like right now? And they were both like, Hatchet, which like is such a great answer for this audience of kids in the way that you describe them as like very su- like living on the land, outdoor, self-sufficient nature kind of kids. So Hatchet by Gary Paulson is like a real classic of children's literature for this age, like the middle grade kind of age. It's about a kid named Brian who lives in Canada. His parents are getting divorced. He's on like a little prop plane to go visit his father who is estranged. The the, uh, pilot has a heart attack and Brian has to crash land the plane in a lake. And then he is in the remote wilderness of Canada with the clothes on his back and his hatchet and that's it. And it's just like a survival story. And for some reason... For some reason, my kids are obsessed with survival stories. Like literally in that series, the I Survived series. This is like a sub-recommendation yes. that I'm giving you here. All kids loved the I love the I Survived series. It's so morbid and weird. And I don't know why, but all kids, it's not just mine, all kids love it. Um, and anything that even remotely resembles it, you know, it's probably there's probably some like cool psychological answer about how kids are starting to develop, the, you know, a picture of their own mortality or whatever. But <laughs> They love Hatchet so much. Get, like, give a kid a knife and send him out into the woods, and that's all they want to read about. And it sounds like the kind of kids that, you're, you're, that your husband are, is teaching will relate to that, to that feeling and, like, see a lot of... They might even have advice for Brian. I don't know. Brian, the character Brian in Hatchet is not, like, a survivalist. Like, he's not a kid who, if you drop him in the wilderness, is automatically going to know what to do. So the journey of the book is very much about him trying to figure it out. Like, how to make a fire? How do I figure out where water is? How do I figure out if these berries are poisonous or not without just eating them? Which is a thing that my children would do. They would just eat them. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, anyway, so that's Hatchet by Gary Polson. So I haven't done this in a long time, but I'm giving you two recommendations, one for each part of the question, because I couldn't resist. I really want your husband's library to include The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon, which is, I think, just perfect for that audience. It is about uh, two little boys, Caleb and Franklin, who live out in sort of a rural area in, I want to say, Indiana. It's like, you know, rural America. And they trade their baby sister for a bag of fireworks and get in trouble. And then everything else, you know, follows along with that. They meet this new teenager in the neighborhood, Sticks Malone, who is a foster kid and like sends them off on this great adventure. You get a really fun story about friendship and like the summer and like, yeah, like running around in the woods, like having fun, trying to earn enough money to buy a scooter. Um, But also you do get another layer of this is I want to say in like the 60s or 70s it's like slightly historical nobody has a cell phone Mm -hmm. Uh, and you get a glimpse at like the political situation in America through the parents like I know what the parents are afraid of but the kids don't so that's like a conversation you can have with younger kids about like what are the parents so nervous about like do we know like let's figure it out Mm. and the, the friendships are so great the writing is so great it's so accessible it's so enjoyable like I think they would just love it uh, so again, that's the season of Sticks Malone. And then for the children's library, for like essential books for a children's library, this is one I have gifted many a time and every child I has gifted it to has loved it also. I personally love it. It's Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. It is just an extremely mm. charming story about a little boy named Julian who lives in New York City and he's riding the subway home with his abuela and he notices three women who are dressed up as mermaids 
mermaids and now he wants to dress up as a mermaid and like he makes a mess and he's afraid he's going to get in trouble and it is such a lovely story about like being who you are and accessing that like whimsy that doesn't care about gender roles or like what boys do what girls do like all of these like putting people in a box like it busts that wide open the illustrations are gorgeous it's so pretty and there are more picture books in this series now which makes me really excited i'm gonna have to go on like a buying spree (laughs) but yes again that is julian is a mermaid by jessica love and that is our show Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for real this time. Look. <laughs> I had a lot of dog barking in this episode. Thank you so much, all of you, for listening. You can find more book recommendations at bookriot.com and our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Thank you so much to our sponsors. And you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where's Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>